podcast one production. Hey, I'm Matt Dwyer, and welcome to Sleep, where Professor Harriet Hiscock and Associate Professor Emma Shaberis from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute help you identify sleeping problems in your children from infancy through to secondary school and give you easy to understand steps to improve their sleep cycles and overall health. So Harriet, at what age do we class an infant becoming a toddler and are their sleep patterns different? Yeah, look, certainly probably around the age of one, we'd say your baby is no longer an infant and they're becoming a toddler. And certainly by the time they're two and three years of age, that's that's well into toddlerhood. The overall sort of architecture of sleep is the same in terms of sleep cycles and learning to fall asleep by themselves, um, going into deep sleep for a period, coming up into light sleep and rousing back into deep sleep. So that sort of pattern of deep and light sleep continues as it did for babies, but the the cycles get a bit longer. So in a baby, there might be 20, 30, 40 minutes. In a toddler, they're getting longer, maybe 50 minutes until the final time when you get to an adult, they're 90 minutes long. So they're sort of lengthening throughout that time. The main differences, I think, is we see that a toddler becomes a bit of trying to be a master of their own universe and they like to test the boundaries and that's a very normal, healthy part of toddler development. But that can play out in sleep and one of the most common things we see is a toddler refusing to go to sleep, um, whether that's in the daytime or the start of the night and they often come in and out of their bedroom multiple times before they settle down. So the sleep cycles are extending longer. Why do they need that more? Why do they need more sleep as they become older? Well, they're not necessarily getting more sleep. They're just getting more of that deeper sleep as their cycles extend. And we don't really understand a lot, a lot, a lot about why we sleep and what we do. But we know that certain things happen during sleep and toddler's sleep. So their immune system is strengthening. They're producing something called growth hormone that helps them grow taller and larger. And we think it also helps to consolidate their memory as well. So perhaps the lengthening of these sleep cycles is helping with all of those things. So as they're becoming older, is there a set time that we should start setting them to bed? Look, that that's, depends on your household and what you need to do the next day and how your life um, runs. But certainly a toddler does like routine. It doesn't have to be that they go to bed on the dot of 6.30pm and it's all disastrous if you haven't got them to bed at 6.33pm. But they will like a routine. So certainly I think, Emma, you're in the middle of toddlerhood, mm. I would say. What time <laughs> do you try, aim to get your little one to sleep? We're on seven o'clock at the moment. But I think as Harriet said, it, it really varies as to what you have on the next day. And so when you need to, to get up for a certain time for childcare and in our household, you know, that generally is kind of out of the house by 7.30. We feel that kind of getting her to bed by 7 kind of works. And that gives her time to fall asleep by herself. And so she probably would go in at 7 and then fall asleep by 7.30. And I think it's it's such a period of huge cognitive development. And so with that development, you can see some settling issues, but also there's some um, real pros of of that cognitive development because toddlers start to understand cause and effect. So it means that you can start to try some strategies to, to help them with sleep and learn uh, the, the routines that you're trying to implement. How do we mm. begin those routines to get them into a healthy sleep cycle? 
Yeah, look, I think um, really starting with a simple um, routine. So it might just be four consistent activities that occur prior to, to bedtime. And it doesn't have to be really rigid about the exact time um, that you get into it, but it might be something like um, from, so if you're going for a seven o'clock bedtime, you might be looking at, you know, around 6.30, having a bath that's, you know, really nice and relaxing, a little bit of fun too. And then that might lead to, you know, a final drink or, you know, some milk before bed if, if, if kids are still using that and then some quiet stories and then off to bed. So I guess kind of having that kind of predictable routine that becomes more and more, I guess, relaxing before bed helps toddlers to understand what's happening next. No, I agree, Emma, and I think when that works well, it's really good and toddlers thrive on that. I do see some toddlers who try and stretch that routine uh-huh. out and you wonder who's in control of the house and sometimes <laughs> it's the two-year-old, not not the parents. And so this is a toddler who says one more book, one more story, one more song, and you find that there's a 45-minute bedtime routine going on, which is just way too long at this age range and at age oh. and stage. And so I advise parents often to, as Emma said, have those set things, but to keep it, you know, to contained within a, that all of that within a half hour period. Yeah. Yep. If we don't get those sleep cycles happening early and, and the routine, are there permanent effects that can happen? You're not usually permanent, but it will make your life a bit trickier. So if you want your toddler to have a good night's sleep, then they do need to learn to put themselves to sleep, just as we say for babies as well. And if I do see toddlers, school-age children who have never learned to do that and they're still sleeping with their parents, and if that's okay for their parents, that's fine. But for a lot of parents I see they want to change that. And so certainly you can start in that toddler age group. As Emma said, they understand cause and effect. So you can start to say, okay, um, you know, if you stay here in your bed and lie down and try to go to sleep, I will stay with you. But if you keep getting up, I'm going to leave your bedroom and I'm not coming back until you lie down and try to go to sleep. And they'll get to understand that really from 18 months onwards, Mm, a lot of them. Yeah, wow. And are there any telling signs of a toddler that they're not getting the sleep they need? Yeah, yeah, they'll (laughs) be cranky. Number one, they will be cranky. They'll make your life misery. They will. And look, look, who can blame them? But um, often toddlers are just another thing of daytime sleep. So... Another transition that happens after the age of one is they will start to drop their daytime sleep, maybe in that second year of life, if you're unlucky. <laughs> Hopefully they're just transitioning from two sleeps down to one daytime sleep. And then sometime around the age of two or three or four, they might drop that daytime sleep altogether. But what I have noticed a lot of toddlers is even if they have that daytime nap, they often wake up really cranky from it. And I don't really know why. And But anecdotally, I found if you can give them something to eat or drink quite quickly after they're waking, then they, um, they're happier. I think it's also worth looking at the nap timing too. So I guess if if you're kind of following all of that and the child's still taking a really long time to fall asleep, just checking the timing of that daytime nap because sometimes if it is too long or if it is too close to bedtime, so if it's going past four o'clock, for example, children just aren't going to be ready to go to sleep. So looking at that and, and making a decision about like capping that a little bit or bringing it forward so it's not interrupting the nighttime sleep too. And I think um, following on from that, Emma, a lot of parents, they'll have their children in daycare or childcare at this age. 
and they'll come and say, oh, you know, they let them sleep too long in daycare and they won't go to sleep until 10 o'clock at night. And that's a really tricky situation because the daycare often have to manage lots of children. And if a child is tired and getting cranky, they're going to let them sleep. So my suggestion is for the parents to speak with their daycare providers and tell them what they would like. And as Emma said, it might be bringing the nap a little bit earlier in the day, or if that's not possible, because daycare, they tend to all have a sleep at the same time, is shortening it. And the trick to that is um, if the daycare worker can watch the child going, they'll go from their light sleep into their deep sleep. And then when they come up into their light sleep, they'll start to get restless. Their eyes will move under their eyelids. They may flutter their eyelids open. And that's when the daycare person should wake them up. So instead of giving the toddler two or three sleep cycles, they just let them have one. So that means when they get home that night, they'll be ready to go to bed at their usual 7 o'clock or 7.30, whatever it might be. So what do you find are the, the biggest causes of sleep trouble in toddlers? I think it's um, what we really see emerging is that, that little personality coming out in the toddler and they're testing their parents' boundaries. So it's what we call bedtime resistance. So it's when you put your toddler to bed, you might have a beautiful routine and then they just get up in and out of the bedroom and they come out, I want to drink, I want to go to the bathroom, I want to tell you something, I'm scared, there's monsters. And we call that curtain calls um, in, the, in, the, in our work line. And um, these, these toddlers are just testing their parents' limits and boundaries. And what parents need to do is put some gentle but firm limits on that bedtime behaviour. And um, we use something called a bedtime pass to do that or a bedtime pass out, which maybe is a bit of an older toddler mm. thing, two or three that you can start at years of age, you can start it. And it's you make a little pass out. So a physical pass. Physical yeah. pass on a card with your with your toddler or this works, so it works in primary school kids. And you say you can come out once at the start of the night to tell me something or have a drink or whatever yeah. it might be. And then you give me the pass and there's no more passes for the rest of the night. Ah. And then if you stay in your bed until the morning, then uh, we set up a little reward system yep. in the morning for the toddler. Maybe like is, a stamp card and exactly. every 10th every one's free. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> for the coffee. That's right. You might want it a little bit shorter <laughs> to work towards. 10 might be a bit hard. Yeah, exactly, Emma. So a stamp or a sticker, and we usually say um, after four stickers in a row, just to add a bit more interest and keep it going, um, you offer a lucky dip. And that's mm. where you wrap up a little cheap something, don't make it expensive or big, in paper, put it in a you know a bowl and the toddler can pick out a lucky dip. And usually after two weeks of doing this, um, the novelty of the rewards has worn off, but you hope your toddler's behaviour has changed for the way that you want it to be. So if the novelty does start to wear off but the sleep isn't improving? That's when you need to see someone. But the bedtime pass can work really well for those kids who are coming in and out multiple times. The other option is um, if they're a bit too young to understand a bedtime pass, it's just if they're a bit anxious and they're coming in and out because they're a bit anxious, is to actually sit with them and either do the checking method where you come back and forth into the room and say, I'm just going out for a minute, I'll come back and see how you're going. Um, And you might keep that at a minute and then stretch that to two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. And then eventually you hope you come back and your your toddler's fallen asleep in the cot or in their bed. But um, if they're really anxious, then that may distress them if you're out of the room. 
for too long. So the camping out method is the other yeah. option. Yeah. And that's where you, we talked about in the infant episode. Yeah, I was going to ask that one. Yeah. And we put a camp bed right next to, or a chair right next to the toddler's cot or bed. And the first few nights you just stay next to them until they fall asleep. And that stops them coming in and out of their room. You might need to hold their hand or, you know, pat them. And once they're falling asleep within, you know, 10 minutes or so like that, then you sit there and you try not to touch them, but you can use your voice to reassure them. And then you slowly move your camp bed or chair a foot away from the cot every couple of nights until eventually you're out the door. Mm. And so that works. Apart from not being cranky, what are the telling signs that your toddler is getting enough sleep? I think... You know, being able to kind of yeah, regulate emotions better, um, waking up happy. Um, you know, you won't see as much um, of the yeah, the crankiness, the eye rubbing, kind of more. I guess you see more irritability. Um, so, so yeah, I think you know. I think you. I think when you've had a child that hasn't slept and you've been dealing with some of that crankiness, and then you try some of these strategies and see the increased sleep happening. The, the, the signs are pretty different. You can really see the difference yeah. um, in the toddlers. It makes a huge difference. And if you think about how you feel as an adult when you haven't had much sleep um, and how yucky you can feel and how that can make you a bit irritable, um, but you have the ability to, to regulate um, your emotions better as an adult, but the toddler doesn't have that. So when they're, they're tired, they're just, ah, like it's really, it's really hard to manage. They can't control themselves as well as us. So I think, I think it's always good as for adults when we're thinking about child sleep to really use empathy too, to think about how do we feel when we're not sleeping? How might this be impacting the toddler and using that as a way to think about and motivate yourself to try some of these strategies to help them to have a better day? So Emma, how do you know when they no longer need a daytime nap or they're dropping a nap? Yeah, so I think I think there are a number of different uh, signs to look out for here. So you might be putting them down and it's taking them a really long time to turn not off for their nap and it's becoming a real struggle for you to, to get them down. And it's it can be really tricky to manage sometimes because sometimes you see, I guess, some testing of boundaries with naps um, and sometimes that can align with growth spurts and, and things like that. And it might not necessarily mean it's time to, to change the nap, but if you're kind of going through and it's kind of been weeks and weeks of it's really challenging behaviour at nap time. That might be an indication. The other one is if if it is interfering a lot with the night time sleep. And so if you're noticing that the days that they have a nap, that they're not falling asleep until really late, that could be another indication. And you might also trial some days when they don't have a nap and see how their behaviour is going. And so if you're kind of getting through the day and they're actually doing pretty well without the nap and they're getting off to bed pretty well at night time, then I'd say that that's a pretty good indication. But you'd like, it's, it's tricky because if children don't have a nap and they get overtired, it can be harder to settle them at night time. So I think you've got to do a little bit of testing out to see kind of what works. Um, but you'd be looking at hoping to kind of continue the nap until at least three and and then seeing kind of where the, the toddler's at. But there's a huge amount of variation, which is important. So it's about looking for the signs in your child. Does age play a variant in that from what, two to five? 
about that? Oh, around two to four. Two to four. Yeah. So most two-year-olds would still be having a nap. Um, but then once we get to three, there's a lot more variation and then fewer four-year-olds still having a nap. And it can be harder for four-year-olds to have a nap given going yeah. to kinder and things like that too. And it can really interfere with their nighttime sleep. But what you can often do is replace that nap time in a four-year-old with quiet time. Mm. So just time on the couch, you know, maybe next to you and, you know, sometimes there's a bit of screen time going on and watching, which is probably not ideal, but it does calm them down, keep them quiet, or also just having a look at a few books on the couch. So just a bit of time to say, okay, you're not sleeping, but this is rest time. And that can really help toddlers as well as parents as well, I yeah. think. And that's a great thing for a four-year-old who's definitely dropped their nap, but yeah. doesn't quite make it through the day without being really cranky at night. And I guess another thing that's quite common in this age group as well is early morning waking. And I say that as anything that's a wake up before 6am. I think that's rude. So yeah, that's just definitely rude. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this is tricky because it happens for one of three reasons. One is, and this is uncommon, you've put your toddler to bed too early and they've got enough sleep and they're just ready to start the day. And um, so if you're putting them to bed at 6pm, you can't expect them to wake up at 7am. You know, they're not going to have 13 hours of sleep at mm. this age. The second thing which is happens is they wake up early and you hear them stirring and you get up to them and then you inadvertently reward them for waking up and that's by turning on the TV mm-hmm. or giving them a, you know, a screen to play with. So that just reinforces that early morning waking. But the third most common reason and the most common reason is that they're just wired like that. So we talk about larks and owls. So we are born with a preference to be a nighttime person or an early morning person. And if you've got a lark, they are just wired to get up early. And sometimes there's nothing you can do to stop that. And so what I tend to advise is um, to put a clock radio on um, outside the child's bedroom set it to 6am for the music to come on then and tell your toddler they can't come out of their bedroom until they hear the music. I tend to say put that clock outside their bedroom so they're not looking at the numbers mm. or fiddling with it when they wake up. And sure, they might be awake between 5.30 and 6, but they're staying in their room and they're not coming out and disturbing the rest of the household. So apart from the reward system, what are the steps and plan of action that we can take to start helping the problem? Yeah, so for the early morning waking, it would be making sure you're not putting your toddler to bed too soon. It would be making sure you're not rewarding them at 5.30 with a screen or the television. And then it would be saying, okay, you're getting up a bit too early for the family. We need you to stay in your room until you hear the music come on and then set that clock radio up outside the bedroom with the music to come on at 6am. And every morning they're able to stay in their room and not come out till 6, then reward them with that sticker or stamp. And again, usually after a couple of weeks, they get the hang of that. I'm getting that there's no quick fix. It's always like <laughs> slow increments of, uh, of change. Well, it depends on the temperament <laughs> of the child too. So yeah. certainly if you've got a very feisty child or a child who gets a bit anxious about things, you don't want to do things too quickly because that will just backfire. And I think that's a really important thing for parents to know that whenever they embark on any sleep strategies is clear your diary for a week or so. Don't expect to be going out and doing things that are going to change the, um, the routine of the household and be consistent and be persistent mm-hmm. and, and do that for at least, you know, uh, seven nights and be prepared to do that. What about starting to set them up for childcare in kindergarten? 
that we need to start changing things for that? I think when you're commencing childcare, it's it's really important to, and most childcare will, will ask you about your child's schedule at home. Okay. And so having um, really clear communication about the way that, that you are managing naps at home so that they can try to mimic it at childcare. I think you need to be flexible though, because there are so many kids in a childcare room and it can be hard um, for, for staff to manage all of the nap times at once. Mm. And especially when kids are, are moving towards having only one nap, it is much easier for for staff to have all of the kids napping at once and that's how they generally manage it. So I think having clear communication about what is generally um, done at home and most childcare will try to to implement some of those things. So if there's a particular little comforter object, for example, that that your toddler uses to go to sleep, the childcare can generally also have that present for the child when they're at um, childcare. So I think it's just about clear communication, but being flexible Mm -hmm. and then having an ongoing conversation with staff about what is working well and what might not be working so well. Would you work towards assisting that with the naps they take at home so that when they get to childcare they're ready to have that nap at that certain time? Yeah, look, I think it is. I think kids uh, and toddlers, they thrive on consistency. So I think if you can kind of make it as consistent as possible between home and, and childcare, that that's the best. And for, for toddlers that are having one nap a day, usually they'd be starting that nap between kind of 12 to 1 anyway. And so within that window um, of time, even if at home you might have the nap starting at 12 and your toddler might sleep to 2, at childcare they might start a little bit later, could be one, and they might sleep a little bit later um, into the day, or they might have a shorter sleep cycle because there's so much distraction Mm. around at childcare. So you might see shorter naps, but some kids sleep longer. So I think that there's huge variation and there's no right or wrong. So I think just evaluating it closely, being flexible, but being um, confident um, to be able to have those conversations. And when they get home, are they generally wired and ready to? Or are they? <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. So I think it depends on how well your child sleeps at childcare. Yeah. Um, so just as an example, at the childcare that my little one goes to, they have a big, um, a big whiteboard that has all of the naps that the kids have had. So you can go in and see how long your child slept for. Okay. And I always check it so I know um, whether or not. It might be a wired kind of afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my toddler now knows that. So if I forget to look, she's like, check. How, what I've you know my sleep on the on the on the wall, which makes me laugh. But sometimes she'll only sleep for forty minutes there, and so I know that that's get home quickly, give her dinner as soon as possible, and she'll be ready for bed at about six thirty on that night. The longer I keep her up after that, the more overtired she becomes, and the harder that it's going to be to get her off to sleep at night. Um, whereas if she's had a sleep of about two hours, like she'd have at home. Then we just kind of do business as usual. But kids do get more tired after childcare because there is lots of activity and stimulation that's happening. So I think you kind of, yeah, test it out over the first little while and you'll begin to see those patterns and, and how you need to respond when you get home. Emma, what about nightmares and night terrors? What are they and how do they differ? We see an increase in in nightmares in this toddler um, period and nightmares are are, are really common and they occur when we're dreaming. And I guess you, you know that a child's had a nightmare, they'll be able to wake up and tell you about what they've, they've dreamt about. And I think at this point it's in toddlerhood, it's really important to look at what they're watching. Um, So sometimes watching television can lead to particular nightmares and they're 
the things that toddlers find scary are things that we may not necessarily find scary. Um, so it could be a big fish on a on a cartoon that they watch. So I think really looking at that closely and making sure that the toddlers aren't watching um, TV too close to bedtime is important. Um, but they are really common as children as in this developmental stage in toddlerhood. They their imaginations are exploding, um, and and with that um, comes really um, exciting and, and great things. And you see you know increases in imaginative play, and it's really lovely to see some of that. But some of that can manifest into yeah coming into their dreams at night time so and finding if, it tricky. if your toddler has a nightmare, what do you do? A lot of comfort and reassurance. So, you know, giving them a cuddle, reassuring them that they're safe, their bedroom's safe, that, that, that you know, big fish isn't in the room coming to get them or, or whatever that thing might be or that monster and giving them a cuddle and putting them back to bed and leaving the room. So the tricky thing here can be if you get into a pattern whereby after the nightmare happens that then the toddler comes into bed with you and then they want to stay in your bed overnight and then that can kind of lead to you needing to try some of those checking methods or camping out approaches. So it's really just um, comfort that's the main thing. What about a night terror? What's what's different? How, How can you tell the difference? Yeah, so a night terror is something that we're more likely to see in the earlier parts of the night. Um, so with nightmares, we'd be looking at them in the latter part of the night. And, and as I said, the child can wake up and tell you about, um, they can have a memory of that event. Whereas a night terror, they typically don't have a memory of, of what has occurred, unless you wake them up, of course, and we can talk about that. But really, you, you're seeing more of a kind of a thrashing um a thrashing behaviour, they might be screaming and so on. And it can actually be quite disturbing for parents to see night terrors. They, they actually look pretty scary, but they're typically not harmful. And the main thing to do with night terrors is to just ensure that the child's safe. Um, because they can be thrashing around, you don't want them to like hit their head on anything. So the main thing is to make sure that they're safe and you can be near them while it's happening, but not to wake them up okay. um, from it is, is really important. And also just to kind of move on from it. So mm. in the morning, not to make a big deal about it and say, do you remember that when you were doing that thing in the night? And because that can just be really um, confusing. Yeah, they won't remember. Will yeah. And, it, and then that's scary for them to think, oh, what, what is mum even talking about? So why um, don't you wake them? Because it just leads to uh, an interruption in their sleep because once the night terror resolves, they will just go back into sleep and it can be really confusing for them to wake yeah, them up. Yeah, and when a, when a night terror happens, as Emma said, it's in the first half of the night, it's before midnight, and they're stuck between their deep and light sleep cycles. So their body's awake but their mind isn't. And that's why they can be thrashing, their eyes might be open, they're looking terrified, they can be running around the room, but their mind's actually not awake. So if you go and wake them up, then you have to spend another half an hour or longer trying to resettle them back to sleep. So it's much better just to leave them be. And they tend to certainly happen more if kids are overtired or if they're sick and they've got a fever. So obviously you can't do much about it if they're unwell and they're sick, but certainly avoid getting them overtired because night night terrors will be more common then, as will nightmares. What are some of the other things that start developing? Well, another thing that starts developing in toddlerhood is snoring and with that obstructive sleep apnea. And that's when you actually stop breathing for periods of time during your sleep. And a lot of people think that just happens to adults, the sort of 
typical thing is a middle-aged or older man or younger man. Um, sometimes happens when you're overweight, um, but in kids, it, it starts to happen in toddlerhood. And that's because the things that cause the snoring, your adenoids and tonsils, are quite large in toddlerhood and, and early primary school and your actual size of your throat is quite small. So when you go to bed at night, your muscles and your upper airway relax, everything sort of falls in a little bit on the throat. And if you've got the tonsils and adenoids there, that can obstruct the breathing. So we we can even see it in babies, but it really starts up in toddler, preschool age that they start with their snoring. If they're just snoring with colds and things, absolutely normal, absolutely fine. If they're snoring and then stopping breathing... And when I say stopping breathing, I'll do a demonstration. So they might be like this. And then they start breathing again. That's terrifying. So it's, it is terrifying. <laughs> um, and that will lead to really disturbed sleep. So you get a cranky toddler in the morning. Parents are often not sleeping next to their toddler, so they don't know it's happening. So my advice is to go in for, you know, before you go to bed, go into your toddler's room listen to their breathing. If they're snoring and stopping breathing, even lift up their pyjama top and take a video of it because you can see them stop breathing and then start breathing again. And that video is very helpful for a doctor to look at and see whether or not this child is having obstructive sleep apnea. And certainly if they are, that's when you do need to seek medical advice. And we'll talk about that more in, a, in our later episode on snoring and sleep apnea. At what point then, if they're not getting that sleep and they are becoming grumpy and quite difficult to handle, do we go and seek someone like yourself? Well, I think first port of call is either your general practitioner or your maternal and child health or well child nurse, because they are often a font of knowledge and information. There are websites, the Raising Children Network website has a lot of information about sleep in all ages, including toddlerhood and how what's normal, how to set up a routine and how to manage this. The Sleep Health Foundation also has some um, good information around sleep in children. And so I think you can start with that. Listen to our podcast, because <laughs> We'll come up with more tips. And then if things, simple things like setting up a routine, ensuring the good sleep habits that we talked about in the infant episode, and that's having a dark room, a quiet room, no screens for an hour before bedtime, no caffeine after 3 p.m. So all those things are still really important. And if you've done all of that and you've set up a routine and it's still a problem and those websites aren't giving you the help you need, then it's time to go and see someone. I should face. take that advice myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think many adults should. <laughs> Sleep was presented by Harriet Hiscock and Emma Shabaris and produced by me, Matt Dwyer. Audio production done by Darcy Thompson and our executive producer is Jen Goggin. For more apps, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app and listen for free. 